0: You have your Bibles, please turn with me to Romans chapter twenty. We're going to get back to Ephesians chapter four, which is what we just read, but in just a moment, we're going to go to uh, Romans. Uh, I'm sorry, did I say Romans? Acts. Yeah, Acts chapter twenty. There's no Romans chapter twenty, is there? You're like... <laughs> theologians out there going like, hmm. Acts chapter twenty. Sorry, Acts chapter twenty. So we're talking about today discipleship, we could call it mentorship, but um, that's what we're talking about, and we are all called to be disciples, and we are called to make disciples, and so that is what Christ has called us to do. What we're getting ready to read in Acts chapter 20 is something that Paul said to the elders uh, who were from Ephesus. So Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And on his way, he stops at a city called Miletus, and it's about 25 miles south of Ephesus. So he sends message to the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he says, I want you to come down here. I I want to meet with you. And uh, Ephesus is a church that Paul visited on his second uh, missionary journey and on his third journey. On his second journey, that's when the church began. Then he spent two years there on his third missionary journey and one of the things that happened in the city of Ephesus which is a big metropolitan city a lot of people a lot of diversity a lot of idol worship they had they believed in many gods and they had these little idols that they would use as an emblem of this deity that they believed in and so the church at Ephesus was growing so rapidly just expanding and the people who were literally making the idols, that was their living, they, they made a living by making these little figurines, all of a sudden began to realize our shelves are full and, and the cash box isn't. And they realized we're not selling as many idols, what's going on? And they did some research, if you will, and they found out that it was because of the Christians. There were people turning to Christ and no longer serving idols, no longer praying to these so-called deities And so it really caused an uproar uh, in that city, and there was persecution to the church because of it. So now Paul, having started that church and come back later and visited the church for two years, now he later is on his way to Jerusalem, and he stops in Miletus. The elders of Ephesus come down to visit him, and he begins to talk to them. Now what he begins to say is recorded in verse number 17. He basically says, remember How this started. Remember when I was there and I was preaching. Remember, remember. But now where we're going to start is there in verse number 22. And that's when he talks about what is happening right now. Let's start in Acts 20, 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison... And hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to this good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in. Savage wolves will come in among you. And will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul, in these earlier part of what we just read, describes the life of every follower of Christ, and I would say really every person, but in the context of being a disciple of Christ, he talks about two things. He says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, and I don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is the Holy Spirit has revealed that there's going to be prison and hardship. He says, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know what's going to happen. I don't know everything that's going to happen, and I don't know when it's going to happen, in the severity, and the timing, and who, and I don't know a lot, but what I do know, I go with. I'm on the way to Jerusalem. I don't know all the details, but what I do know is there's, there's going to be some hard times And there's going to be some difficulties. And we live like that. God reveals to us through our experience and through his word and by the Holy Spirit, he reveals to us some things that we actually know. But then there's a lot of things we don't know. There's a lot of things we can count on it, and we can depend on it. This is what the Word of God says, and this is what experience has taught human beings for thousands of years, but yet we don't know everything, and so we live that way, knowing and not knowing, and that is why not only has God given us His Word, but He has given us His Spirit. His Spirit lives within us to show us and lead us through those items that we don't understand and we don't know. We learn and we grow and what we know should obviously always continuously gain traction and we should learn more and more and more. And yet at the same time, we'll never learn everything. We always have to live by faith guided by the Holy Spirit. And he's describing that so well. A little bit later, he says, after I leave, I'm assured of a couple of things. There will be... He calls them ravenous wolves who will come in and not spare the flock. In other words, he's saying there's going to be people that from the outside coming in and trying to divide and and tear apart and hinder. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I'm confident this is going to happen. But then he also adds something. He says, but also you need to be careful of the people within your own number." Because it's easy for people to become egotistical and become self centered, and they want to draw away some of the disciples to themselves instead of always pointing toward Christ. So he's saying, we're living in this way of living. We don't know everything, but we do know some things. But there's also an enemy that we need to watch out for from the outside, but also we need to be careful to be paying attention to even with who's within the flock. Because discernment is not given to us to try and help us decide what is right and wrong. I think it was Spurgeon who said, discernment is given to us to help us decide what is right and what is almost right. As a disciple of Christ, that's how we live. We move forward on guard, recognizing that we have to live by faith, being led by the Holy Spirit, guided by His Word. What we do know helps us with what we don't know. But living by faith causes us to not know everything. So how do we do this? (laughs) How do we live with what we know and what we don't know? And how do we live being on guard without being paranoid? How do we do this? Well, that's what takes us to Ephesians chapter 4. So let's turn there, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to really hone in on on this portion that we just read. Ephesians 4, in my opinion, one of the greatest beneficial verses of the New Testament as it relates to the church and growth and how we become uh, full-fledged, all the way disciples of Christ, not only individualistically, but together as a body. And we just read Ephesians 4, through 16. And here he starts off, Paul, what he's writing, he says, Jesus Christ himself. This isn't the Baptist or the Presbyterian or the Methodist or the Assemblies of God. He said Jesus himself has given the church, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry so that the body of Christ can be built up, can grow up, and learn and grow. These offices are what God has given the body of Christ to become fully equipped so that we learn and we grow and we are in the process of being a disciple and the process of making disciples. Now, God has only used one perfect person ever. And that's Jesus. Everyone before him that God uses is imperfect and everybody after is imperfect. And yet, even with imperfections, God says, I have established these offices, if you will call them that, so that the body of Christ can become all that it's supposed to become. So we're not looking at the perfect person to do this. We're looking at a fivefold ministry offices that God has established. Christ himself has done that so that the individual person in the body of Christ becomes mature and built up, but also the body as a whole. Just as with our physical body, if our physical body, everything's working properly, then our whole body is healthy. If one part of our body is not working properly, the rest of us might be healthy, but we are affected by the one thing that doesn't work properly. And it affects everything. We can still do things and maybe limit it on some areas in the same way in the body of Christ. With every person in the body growing, not at the same maturity level, but growing into maturity, then the whole body is brought together and has been given health. But the body comes together as each individual grows, the body of Christ grows, but we are growing by Christ and into Christ. We're growing by Christ, and as a whole, we're growing into the image and the likeness of Christ, and we cannot separate ourselves from that. At the turn of the nineteenth to the twentieth century, um, there was a man named William Booth. If you know William Booth, started the Salvation Army, a ministry still growing and going today, and uh, he was a tremendous man <clears throat> and very insightful. And he was asked right there at the 20, the turn of the century. He said, "What, what, what do you think?" are the biggest challenges that, that is facing the church in this new century, the 20th century. And this is what he said. He said, The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. The biggest challenge is that we'll become so good, we no longer need God. We'll look so good, we won't need God. We will say, oh, forgiveness, but I don't have to repent. I don't have to change my ways. All I have to do is say, God, please forgive me. Those are the biggest challenges that William Booth said. That was 123 years ago. I would say... There are many avenues, circles of the church where that is definitely true today. Where there are people who say, all I have to do is ask for forgiveness. I don't need to repent. There's only heaven. There is no hell. There's nothing really to avoid in eternity. It's just levels of heaven that we get. So true. And how does that happen? It's because we believe that morality saves us instead of Christ. The giver of morality. If I'm a good person, how could God, uh, how could God ever send me to hell? I know this person, and yeah, they they live a particular lifestyle that a lot of Christians don't like. But boy, they're really good people, and I don't see how how God could reject them at all. It's the salvation without Christ. It's religion without the Holy Spirit. It's I say we see that in our time today. But how does that happen? When we divorce ourselves from the one who saved us, when we divorce ourselves from Christ and we think that we can please God apart from him, Charles Spurgeon made this statement, a church that is only united to itself but not united to Christ is no living church at all. You may attain to the unity of the frostbound earth in which men and women are frozen together with the cold proprieties of aristocracy, but it is not the unity of life. He's saying there is that opportunity and temptation for a church, a movement, a local body, or a group to separate themselves from Christ and yet remain a quote-unquote church. It's a gathering, We're going to be in Christ. If we're going to be a church, it's got to be in Christ. If we separate ourselves from Christ, we're no longer a church. We're a gathering. Maybe a gathering of really good people, but nonetheless a gathering apart from Christ. It is Christ who is discipling us, and we are being formed into his image. We look there at verse number 11, and we see those offices that God gives us. Verse number 12 talks about equip, talks about Something that isn't that will be, something that is not and should be, it's an equipping. In the Greek, the term would be used, this word would be used for setting right or setting straight. It is like if a bone is broken and they set it in order. That's what he's talking about. Something is disjointed and now it's being brought together, equipping of the saints, Every person in the body of Christ has the goods, but they need to be placed, put in right place, put together, strengthened. Verse 13 talks about the unity in the faith and the unity in knowledge. The unity in the faith is that of Christ. It is not a unity of the Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian, it's a unity of Christ. It is the Big C church in the unity of knowledge. The unity of knowledge. How can we all be unified in knowledge when we've all been serving God for different lengths of time and we've read the Bible maybe never, or maybe once, or maybe 50 times? Maybe you've studied the Bible very little, or maybe a lot. And yet, how can we be united in knowledge? How can we be reunited when people are just starting off in their Christian walk and then others have been serving God for a long, long time? We're having Hope 101 in, in about an hour from now or so, and I always love that. One of the things we always mention in Hope 101 is that if you've been a Christian for a year, we expect you to act that way, you know? But if you've been serving God 30 years, we expect you to act like you've been serving God 30 years, Right? We kind of do that with our children, right? Okay, well, um, <clears throat> speaking of children, Micah, could you give me a hand over there? I, would, I forgot to bring those up over here. Um, I, have, I have some props. Thank you. Yo. So there in the Word, what does it say about children? Thank you. Test one, two, three. The Word talks to us in there in verse number 14. If we're really going to be apprentices of Christ, we want our identity shaped. Verse 14 says, no longer like children. The Bible tells us that when we come to Christ, we are referred to as babes or babies in Christ or baby Christians or whatever. And that's the reality. We're just starting off. We've been born again and we're just starting and so that's a, good, that's a good time, isn't it? That's, a, that's an amazing time. Just as our, physically when we're babies, that's a wonderful time. When we're new in Christ, that's a wonderful time as well. He says, but it's like children who are tossed to and fro, back and forth. This beach ball will just go wherever I tell it to go, so to speak, wherever I hit it, wherever I push it. And if there was a, the air unit was really strong, it, would, it maybe would blow it out of my hands because it's weak. Now I was I was tempted today to just let us have a little fun here today with this beach ball. In fact, the the children's pastor told me I should. Because she's the children's pastor. But I don't know if I should. Should I? All right, all right, go. Hit it, keep it moving. We can go longer than that. A beach ball goes and goes and goes. It's just pushed back and forth. (laughs) It's all fun and games till someone loses an eye, right? Okay. All right. It's making its way up front. All right, throw it here. Here we go. All right, we're good. All right. Sorry, you guys. I think maybe one person got it over there. Sorry. Anyway. Well, obviously, children are just, children kind of believe everything, and that's why they're children, and that's good when you're a child, but it's not so good when you get older, right? Children are bounced back and forth, and he says, we, we need to have our identity shaped so that we don't stay that way. It's good to be that way but it's not good to stay that way. So we need our identity shaped so that we are not going to be like children tossed back and forth and bounced around with every wind of doctrine, every teaching that comes along and he even references the cunning craftiness of men who lie in wait. He's saying there are there are cunning people who intentionally want to to rip the faith out of people or rip the love out of people. They want to abuse them in such a way that they, they, they're totally wasted, if you will. And, that's, and when children are, are bounced around like that, that's exactly what happens. He says, but instead, we, we need to be like this, my, my little friend here. We need to be like him. The beach ball's full of air, and this is full of air. But what is the difference? How many of you had one of these when you were a kid? Bozo the clown, right? Remember that it had a face of Bozo on it. Clowns can be scary, so I just bought this one. <laughs> what is the difference between the ball and this? Is the foundation? There's something. There's something there holding it. The beach ball has nothing to hold it. This has something to hold it. That is that is the maturity of Christ. That we find our foundation. Our the rock in Christ. He is our rock. He is the foundation. Because no matter what you do to this guy, no matter which way you hit it, no matter, I mean, it can hit it all the way down. All the way down. Or if I just hit it a little bit. Jesus said, Jesus said, when, when you're obedient to me and you, you honor me, he said, I'm going to bless you 60 and 100-fold, 30-fold. He said, I'm going to bless you, pour it out on you with persecution. He said, I'm telling you now, you're going to have trouble in the world. Don't worry, I've overcome the world. Okay? And Jesus said, the one who hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them is like the guy who builds his house on the sand. And what happens? The storm comes. There's rain, there's wind. It just beats on the thing. And what happens? The house falls. He said, but there's people who hear these words of mine and they do them. They're like a person who builds their house on the rock. And what happens? The same storm. The rain, the wind, they just beat on the house. But what happens to that house? It stands. Yeah, it gets rocked. It gets blown around. Yeah, but it stands he said, you're going to have trouble. You're either going to act like a beach ball or you're going to act like this guy. And I think a disciple is here and not the ball tossed back and forth. And so we need to have our identity shaped, shaped into the image of Christ, not into the image of a particular denomination or a movement or even a local church, but into the, to the, to the form of Christ, Christ being formed in us, Paul talked about. So... We need to have our identity shaped by Christ. Secondly, we want our maturity challenged. Um, I've, I've done a series a, a couple of years ago. Well, it's been about six or seven years ago, and I'm getting ready to do it again probably uh, next year in 2024, really on... Compliments and criticism. The Bible is amazing the number of verses that talk about literally putting someone in your life that will give you criticism. Constructive criticism that is beneficial and not harmful. It says if we ask for it, we're wise. If we allow people to speak into our lives, we are, lies. We are wise. We need our maturity challenged. Do you think Jesus ever challenged the disciples? Of course he did. Isn't it amazing how something would happen and they would they would look at him like, "Wow, what's a what?" And he would say, "What are they? Do you still not believe? Be like, do you still not? Don't you have faith? Don't you remember? I mean, he just fed five thousand with a little lunch, five thousand, and then right after that, they're amazed. Like, I don't understand it. He goes, "Don't you remember the fish and the loaves? Don't you remember?" He's challenging them to go, hey, wait a minute, don't just see something and then forget about it. If you see a miracle, like, okay, deal, um, let's go, let's take that and move forward. Don't pass into the category, I don't know if miracles are true, I don't know. No, you just saw one. He challenged their maturity, and that's what you and I need. There are times when we need someone to come along beside us and just give us a hug and say, oh, I'm so Sorry. It's going to be okay, though. Come on it. I'm so sorry you're going through that. We need compassion, right? There are times when we need that. We need that person in our life. But how many of you would agree that there are some times when we need somebody just with a good boot and go, hey, man, let's go? Okay, nobody believes that. Okay, all right. I can deal with that. See, the the church, I don't know about the church anywhere else in any other country, but the church in America, my perspective, take it or leave it, it's up to you. The church in America has had thin skin for quite a while, and we got to thicken up. we just got to thicken up. Yeah. We, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to use other people to speak into our lives even what we don't want to hear. When you're raising your little seven-year-old, do you only tell them what they want to hear? Because if you do, it's ice cream every night for dinner. You got to tell them what they don't want to hear so that they mature and grow. So we need our maturity challenge. What does it say there in verse number 15? He said, instead, instead of the beach ball, instead of going back and forth, he says, we're speaking the truth in love, and we grow to become in every respect, not just in the respects that are convenient and that are easy, and I'm already pretty good at anyway. But he said, in every respect, we're growing in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ." And the next part of it is that we want our strength to be unified. We want our strength to be unified. Look at there, verse number 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by what every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its what? Its work. We need our strength to be unified. How is strength unified? When we come together as disciples and we go, you know what? I'm not where I used to be. I used to be the beach ball. Now I've got some stability. I've got some grounding. I've taken a few punches and I'm still, still, still moving, still going, still serving Jesus. But I still am not where I want to be and I'm not where I need to be and I'm not where I'm going to be. I'm still growing in Christ. I don't care how long you've served the Lord. It could be one year, it could be 50 years. We're still growing and moving into the image of Christ. How do we unify that? It is when we come together and we recognize I need you, you need me. We all need each other. It goes back and forth everywhere. We need one another. One of the the negative byproducts of affluence is that we stop needing people because we can pay for it. One of the negative byproducts of Facebook is that you're losing friends. Not the ones online, I mean real ones. Because it's a pseudo-friendship. Enough meddling for the day? We need to have our strength unified as the body of Christ. That last word there in verse 16 is work. Matter of coming together. I came up with four, four things right here. We need to eat up, grow up, show up, and set up. Okay, we need to eat up the Word of God and just go, man. I, I'm going to eat it up. I'm going to, I'm going to read it in my private time in the morning or in the evening or lunch or whatever. I'm going to have my devotion. I'm going to have that time together with God. But I'm going to eat up the Word of God when it's being taught, when it's being preached, when, when I, if there's an opportunity to share. We have meetings all throughout the week. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to eat up the word of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow. You cannot become the disciple that God wants you. You cannot grow into maturity and into fullness without this word. It is impossible. Impossible. You must have the word of God. So we're going to eat up. We're going to eat up the word of God. And then we're going to grow up. And that takes more than just the word. That takes each other. We grow with each other. And we grow through change. That we repent of the things we were doing that maybe, maybe they were sin, but maybe they're just, like, they're just a waste of time and I, I, need to, I need to move forward. I need to change. And so we grow up into maturity just as you grew from a child now into an adult. or Some of you are in the process of doing that. That's how we grow. We're going to grow up into the full nature of Christ. And then we're going to show up. We're literally going to say, you know, if it's, if it's going on, I'm going to be there. If something's happening, I'm going to be there. I, you can't be everywhere. We got people out on vacation. If you can go on vacation, go on vacation. You need it. I need it. Everybody needs it. Go on vacation. But when you're not on vacation, be here. Okay? Then we're going to step up. What is step up? We're going to, We're going to do ministry. It, discipleship <clears throat> is never... Simply about, hey, feed me, feed me, feed me, give me, give me. It's about, okay, yes, feed me, give me, and then I'm going to give it out. Uh, okay, it's, it's going to go like this. That is maturity. You know, in our discipleship on, uh, on Wednesday nights, we got opportunities for ministry. And you might say, well, God hasn't called me to that. I, I'm, I'm less concerned with that than if you're doing ministry. You mean I should do ministry even if God hasn't called me to? Well, that's better than doing nothing. Uh, Oh, y'all clamming up on me. It's better than doing nothing. But what if God hasn't called me to do it? I think he's going to bless you anyway. Get involved in what God's called you to do. He's gifted you to do. That's That's the primo. Great. But if you're not doing that, do something. Here's the deal. I'll finish with this illustration. I've never played a down of football in my life. No surprise to anyone. I never played football. Played in the backyard, got enough injuries from that, but never formal football. So what if I were to call up the head coach of the Falcons, whoever that is, and and I were to say, Hey, I'd like to be your assistant. And he'd go, Yeah. Yeah, you'd be my assistant coach. That'll work. (laughs) Two things we always want to jump the necessary processes in order to get to the position that we want to be in. You can't jump the necessary processes. you got to pay the dues. You've got, you got to do it. But here's the thing anyway. In discipleship and leadership, we always think that when God calls us to do something, it's always up. It's always up. And Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, You want to be great? Be a servant. God's call to discipleship and God's call to leadership always goes down and never up. It goes down. He says, "You You want to be great? Begin to serve. Go for it. See how many people you can serve, and in the kingdom, that is greatness. Discipleship has many components. One of which is serving, doing ministry, making a commitment, not when it's convenient, not when it's cool, not when it's fun, not when it, but it's just a commitment to say, this is what I'm going to do. It's okay to put a, put a stop on it, like I'll do this for six months, or I'll do this for a year, I'll teach this class, I'll watch the nursery, I'll work with children, I'll do the men's ministry, or do whatever it is, you can put it, say I'll do it for a year, but let's make a commitment and go, okay, I'm going to do it. And there's going to be good days and bad days and good opportunities and bad opportunities and all that stuff all mixed up together. And you know what? Show me the life of the disciples for three years while they were following Jesus, and you show me all smooth and wonderful. Can't be done. They had great days. They had awesome days where they were sent out and they preached the gospel, and people were healed and saved. It was amazing. And then they had times where they're like in the middle of the boat and like they're thinking they're going to drown. That's the life of a disciple. But it's exciting. How many of you want to live a boring life? Nobody wants to live a boring life. We want to live an exciting life, and that means sometimes there's going to be a boat with some waves. But that's okay. If Jesus is in the boat, let the boat rock us. Let the life hit us. Let life give us their best shot. In Christ, I am secure. In Christ, I may go, but I'm coming back. I may get knocked down. I'm not staying there. I'm coming back. That's the life of the disciple.